0: Hi, I'm Martin Zub, re-recording Mixer on Beastie Boys Story, and you're listening to ContraZoom.
1: is ContraZoom where we go back and forth about films. I'm your host Dakota Arsenal, and this week's episode is presented by Aesthetic Magazine. In case you didn't catch last week's housekeeping update I'll fill in everyone here. In very exciting news we now have a website. Go to ContraZoompod.com for all your ContraZoom needs. You can find all past episodes and guest appearances on there currently and in the future there'll be plenty more great content so make sure you bookmark it. Also, I'm working on getting some stickers printed soon, so if you leave a review on iTunes or Podchaser, I'll send you some stickers for free. Just send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com showing your 5-star rating and review. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to talk to Martin Zub, the re-recording mixer for the Apple TV Plus documentary Beastie Boys Story. The doc was nominated for 5 Emmys, including Outstanding Documentary or Nonfiction Special, Outstanding Writing for a Nonfiction Programme, Outstanding Picture Editing for a Non-Fiction Program, Outstanding Sound Editing for a Non-Fiction or Reality Program, and Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Non-Fiction or Reality Program. The last two of which Martin Zub received nominations for. These are the first Emmy nominations for Martin, but he has previously worked on all three John Wick movies, both Deadpools, Nocturnal Animals, Nightcrawler, Atomic Blonde, Frozen, The Space Between Us, and Ghost in the Shell, to just name a few, making him one of the most in-demand sound mixing and editors in Hollywood. In case you aren't familiar with Beastie Boys Story, Mike D. and Ad-Rock went on a small tour in 2019, retelling the band's history after putting out an autobiography in 2018. The live show was filmed by director Spike Jones, who filmed many of the group's iconic music videos including Sabotage, Sure Shot, and Time for Livin'. The movie is a mix of TED Talk style with plenty of classic clips and photographs, showing the band from their early teenage years to the very final performance the band played on June 12, 2009 at Bonnaroo. The band was always one of my favorites growing up, even though my age meant I got into them pretty late. I remember I had traveled to Montreal to see friend of the show, Sebastian Hines, graduate from the National Theatre School, and as I was arriving, I learned the news about Adam Yacht's passing. The news hit me pretty hard, as his strong political beliefs and general fun demeanor was inspiration to me that you can care very deeply about the world around you, but still have fun with your best friends. That night, while I was out at a bar, the DJ played almost only Beastie Boys songs in honor of MCA, making it a very bittersweet evening. Let's now listen to my interview with Martin Zub. You
0: ready? Yeah. Now here's a little story that I got to tell about three bad brothers that you know so well. It started way back in history with that rock. MCA and me, Mike D. Hello, everyone. Woo-hoo. What we're gonna do right here is go back, way back, back into time.
1: I'm now joined by Martin Zub, sound editor, designer, and re-recording mixer, whose latest project, Beastie Boys Story, directed by Spike Jones, has earned Martin an outstanding sound editing for a non-fiction or reality program, and outstanding sound mixing for a non-fiction and reality program Emmy nominations. Martin, thank you so much for joining me today, and do you struggle with remembering the exact categories that you are nominated for?
0: Uh, thanks, Dakota. Great to meet you. Um, um, yeah, a little bit. There's a bit of a mouthful when you said it like that, but um, no, no, it's, it's kind of humbling to be nominated in big categories.
1: <laughs> I even removed uh, the end where it was single or multi-use camera as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Every year, I struggle with coming up with good analogies and descriptions to decipher the differences between sound editors and sound mixers. Can you help a movie lover out by breaking it down in layman's terms?
0: Yes, absolutely. So sound editorial is we get the raw tracks from, in this instance, from the live show that it was, um, put together across four different concerts, uh, concerts across North America. And then in sound editorial, that is cut together and synced to so the picture. And then that comes in as raw tracks. So there could be, in this instance, there was like 70 live microphones, probably 12 tracks of music, um, probably 20 tracks of sound effects. And then what, all those tracks get given to the sound mixer. In this instance, it was myself as well. And then we'd go on to a mixing stage, which is ultimately like a, a, theater, a movie theater minus all of the seats and probably one row of seats with a mixing console at it. And then from the editorial to the mixing process, it's just going, weeding through all the material to make it sound seamless and play out of the, the right speakers and at the right level and yeah, to make it sound like a film, ultimately.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm curious to know, what is your history with the Beastie Boys and their music? Were you a fan of theirs beforehand, or did you not know much about them until you were on the job?
0: Uh, I'm certainly a fan of them. I've seen them live in Australia a number of times growing up as a teenager, and they're the, they definitely have been a big inspiration of how I hold myself in terms of culturally, politically, fashion even as well. Um, but I'm um, always been a big fan and everything that they've done. And then it was kind of a little bit daunting before I, met, you know, because sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes. And then once I actually met my these guys, Adam and Mike, and they seemed really humble and super cool, as you'd expect them to be. So it was it was really it was great to actually you know tick that box and say, oh cool, I'm fortunate. These guys are really lovely guys as well and collaborative people as well.
1: I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> um, this film, Beastie Boys Story, sticks out in your very long list of credits. You've worked on all the John Wick movies, the Deadpool ones, Frozen, Nightcrawler, and, and much more. But this was essentially sort of a cross between a stand-up special and a TED Talk with Ad-Rock and Mike D. narrating their lives in front of a screen. How is this job different from your usual work?
0: Um, well, it was, it was in, in the essence, it's of- considered like a, a documentary as such but it's definitely the filmmakers involved from um, Pitch editorial and uh, um, Spike Jones being the director it was always treated like a, a feature film as we saw it with um, um you know almost like you could feel like there's one act one two and three so in that instance when we were actually in the trenches and just doing the actual work it didn't feel like a documentary it felt like yeah we're working on a film here and you know, we could feel the highs and lows, and progressively get to you know the third act. And you know, it's the reflective moment when they talk about you know MCA's passing, and it's a relatively sad moment. But then they, you know, they come back again and say, you know, you know it was all worth it, and they would never change a day in their life. So yeah, it was certainly treated like a feature film in that process. In a documentary sense, the the crew was a lot smaller, like it was very intimate. But from I get the sense. This is the first film that I've worked with Spike on, and it felt like that. It is kind of a small, intimate crew, you know, like family as such. So it's kind of, you know, being, it was great fun to be, you know, let in to be a part of that as well. Um, but yeah, definitely, I couldn't feel any real difference between this is a documentary and a feature film. We treated it like a feature every day.
1: That's fascinating. Were you involved for only the post production, or did you have a hand in the sound for the live shows?
0: No, I was only involved in the post production part of it. Um, I got involved when I think they were in, you know, 70% of their way into picture editorial. And, um, and, then, I, and then I met Spike and the producers, and then I came on it after that fact and then um, worked on some rough cuts of some scenes and sequences to get a bit of a style palette to get Spike's approval. And then he kind of let me go at it and then. You know, turn it into something before I actually reviewed the whole film with him.
1: Interesting, yeah. That was something I, I was kind of curious about. Was like the involvement of, of Spike in this process? Was he there sort of right from the beginning, or was he more there towards the end of the, the, the assignment?
0: He was. He was right there from the beginning, and then he let our crew go away and do what we kind of felt was right, and then we reviewed it a couple of times with the picture editors, um, and Jeff and Zoe. Um, and then that was that was great fun as well because um, Jeff in particular, he's worked with Spike on, on numerous of, on a couple of his films and his in, in commercial world as well. So he really understands his sensibility. And from the first day I met Spike, um, those first scenes, like, um, I was mixing it kind of more like a, a rock concert, you know, in places, but he really wanted to just make it feel intimate in certain sections. And that kind of was like the style palette for the whole film. And then that kind of dictated what we did in the mix as well. And then Spike came back towards the end for the final. um He was there for all of the ADR um, and then came back for the final mix as well.
1: Interesting. That sort of pivots to what I want to talk about next, because in a normal film, for the most part, a sound designer's job is, is much larger than a viewer could even imagine, but it's also invisible to the viewer. You want everything to sound normal and in place, even in heightened scenarios. But here in Beastie Boys' story, the audience is acutely aware of every needle drop, and even expecting them. How did you approach that style?
0: That's a good question. Well, originally, we well, we cut it more like a feature film. as well. We had like more sound effects, like spot sound effects throughout the whole film. And then after a while, you know, they wanted less is more type of thing to pull it all away. So a lot of the material that we originally cut and, you know, we had to try because, you know, you never know what you'll find. You'll find, might find a cool little moment that's going to help, you know, tell the story even a bit more. But then, and then from, yeah, then from the audience, and then, yeah, then from the audience um, session, we had so many microphones as well, so we were able to, Kind of push those crowd reactions up and then pull them back when we needed to at any given time. So um, it kind of felt n- as natural as possible. And that was the whole idea to make it feel like that we were sitting, you know, in row 15 on the night. But then also when we wanted to be intimate, we could really lean into the dialogue and just pull everything out. So it was, we were just left with Adam and Mike on stage.
1: Wow, that's really fascinating. Um- how long did you work on this project, and how does it compare to the amount of time you're usually on board for?
0: Okay, um, so yeah, we we'll, this, the process, the sounds process started November last year, but it wasn't like um, a linear run. It was kind of broken up because we'd get to sections and we'd go, "Oh, you know, the filmmakers want to go away with it and try some things and come back," and then um, so then we worked up right up until the drop dead deadline, until when Apple needed it to actually premiere. And so, yeah, it was kind of like, a, it was like a, a lot of the time it was a couple of weeks here, then a couple of weeks there. Um, so it wasn't consistent the whole time, whereas a lot of feature film schedules were, were on from day one of post-production and will be right to the end of post-production because, you know, things keep changing and evolving the whole time. And um, and it actually, you know, it gave credit to the film as well, the Beastie Boys story, um, because, you know, it, it, it you know, it wasn't, a, you know, it didn't start out being a large studio film and with, you know, a countless, you know, you know, open pockets and, and until Apple got involved and even then, you know, it was kind of kept, you know, lean and mean really. So we kind of had to be a lot smarter with how we, you know, used our resources and our calendar as well. So in that aspect, it was, you yeah, a bit different. So yeah, started on it November last year up until the release date, which was I think it was February or March. I can't, I can't recall, but um,
1: yeah. That's great. Um, These are your first Emmy nominations. I'm interested to hear how you found out and your reaction to this great news.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm totally humbled and honoured to be a part of these awards. And I found out one morning I didn't know the nominations were coming out. I was actually mixing on another film I'm still working on at the moment. And then a colleague sent me a text message like 8 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, congratulations, well done. And I was thinking and I took a moment to think about it and pause and think, what have I done? You know, like You know, and then I texted him back, uh, you know, shortly after. and said, "Hey, not to be rude, but <laughs> what are we congratulating each other for?" <laughs> and then he said, um, "He said, Oh the nominations came out, you got nominated.'" And then I uh, thought, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And then you know, jumped online, had a look, and sure enough, got one nomination, and sent it to my wife. And then she came back and said, "Oh no, you actually got two nominations." <laughs> oh wow, that was even more unexpected. So it, yeah, it, it yeah, it was ultimately it was very humbling to actually get recognised by your peers. And then I think also it's a reflection on all the great work that our team has done over the years, but to get acknowledged on such a great film, such as Beastie Boy Story, makes it even better.
1: That is a fantastic story. And that sort of leads me to my next thing, where filmmaking is a collaborative effort and you share your Emmy nominations with other people on your team, a sound effects editor and sound editor for the sound editing nomination, and then two production mixers on the sound mixing one. I love to hear about the different roles that these people play in the final product.
0: Okay, yeah. So on the mixing side of it, the, the other two gentlemen who got nominated were the the live mixers on the live concerts of the night. So they're responsible for um, capturing all the audio and recording it to tape, and which is a, a task in itself considering how many live microphones were there on any given night. And the end result sounds fantastic. So it's kind of Thankful once we got to my fingertips as I started mixing that the sound of it, you know, it, it's there. And I'm just there. My job is to enhance it and to tell the story when I'm mixing it. And in the sound editorial side, we actually have to go through all the tracks and cut everything to picture, rethink everything and make sure we've got the right track playing. Um, phase align a lot of the material because there's so many microphones. Then add sweetened um, sounds and, you know, uh, recut music and you know and make it work to pitch a bit more even though um pitch editorial has done a great process of you know what we call uh the avid track or the temp track and then it's our job to um you know polish that and elaborate on it to make it the best thing possible
1: that's really cool i always love hearing about some of the people that we don't always hear about in the news
0: yeah that yeah and it's, it's definitely a team and a collaborative effort like um yeah, and then also we're trying to get on the on the editorial nomination, now um, there was some the sound designers and uh, editors that did a lot of work on the live night, like cued kind of cool sound moments to real elements as well, and, and you know that's part of the process. And, you know, we, yeah, hopefully we can get them on kind of the nomination ballot for sound editorial.
1: In my opinion, the Beastie Boy story was one of the first casualties of of COVID nineteen, as it was set to premiere at South by Southwest back in March, and the festival was cancelled at the last minute. Has COVID changed the way you're working on any current or upcoming projects?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that was devastating that South by Southwest didn't happen because I'd never been, and I was excited to go that. But um, since then, as we all know, as, you know, we're all trapped in our houses a fair bit. Um, it definitely has changed the way that we work and operate. Um, at, at the moment, I'm sitting in our second bedroom in our apartment, which now looks like a recording studio because I've got speakers and computers everywhere. So I've bought my sound editorial, Rigs and computers um, from the studio home, so and which is our our a lot of our lockdown facilities aren't open yet. I work for a company called Formosa Group, and then we're trying to be you know skeleton staff at the moment to keep the contact down and as much isolation as possible. So a lot of people are working from home now, um, which you know it has its pros and cons because you can roll out of bed and roll on to your pro tool system and start cutting away but also it's a sound treated room and then the neighbors obviously will get a you know get a bit annoyed with if you're playing gunshots at real loud level and then think what the hell is going on next door <laughs> but um in terms of mixing we have a facility open in hollywood that we are uh, we're trying to do as much as possible to keep the place open so we're running you know going you know watching everything that the cdc does and we're following those guidelines and keeping the clients at minimum and the people on the stage and contact at minimum and, yeah, you know, checking temperatures, you know, doing um, – we're actually on a film now. I'm working with Netflix. We're getting tested every week for COVID, um, which is great and, you know, fortunate that we're able to do that. Um, but it does bring a sense of confidence about to keep the industry going and moving along as well. Um, but yeah, definitely everything's changed and I think it's going to be like this for a while in post-production. And then this, uh, then I hear that they're starting to shoot material now as well, which is great because I kind of feel like that the post-production path is going to suffer a bit more. But Every month not haven't been shooting, productions haven't been shooting, there's going to be a downturn in post-production that we'll probably be scrambling for work for a couple of months, you know, a month at a time that they haven't been shooting, we won't be working as well. so it certainly changed things and you know, hopefully hopefully, you know, people start being smarter about it and then and then we can get out the other side of this really.
1: Yeah, that's something I've I've been thinking about a lot recently where I feel like in maybe six months to a year there's gonna be this huge influx of, of work, whether it's post production or other work to be done and, and wondering what that is gonna cause on the industry.
0: Yeah, well hopefully that's that's a good thing to have <laughs> like a, a good problem to have. Lots of um, work. <laughs> but, Yeah, yeah, lots of work would be fantastic, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's every, you know, we're just not affected. Everybody is, affected, as we all know, everybody's affected by it, and and yeah, we're starting, yeah, I'm I'm just hoping that productions can get up safely and smartly so that they can get the industry rolling and rolling out as well, because as we all know, everybody's screaming for content because everybody's nearly downloaded the whole internet and watched everything online, So, (laughs) so it'll be good to get going.
1: Yeah. Um, The Beastie Boys story was released on Apple TV. And as a sound person, does it worry you that most people are going to be viewing this movie on things like a a TV without a proper sound system, their laptops or even their phones?
0: Uh, Yes and no. I think that's just the time that we're in. Um, We we originally mixed this in um, native Atmos for theatrical, and then we did um, uh, home Atmos which is another format then we did all the formats we did 7.1 and 5.1 then stereo then i actually did another pass of the mix just wearing my apple airpods on the mixing stage just to hear how it would translate because you know you know in honesty this is how a lot of this is going to be watched in this time in our life at the moment so um it's you know, as long as people are watching it and they're interested in it and it sounds good to them. Um, and, and as we know, computers are sounding better. There's better speakers in it. There's, you know, headphones and AirPods and earbuds are all sounding better. So it's just kind of what it is, really. And then as long as you can kind of translate that material in those platforms, I think it's it's cool, really.
1: That's cool. That always reminds me of the. The old story of back in the eighties, Guns and Roses wanted to do this super high tech mixing with their album, and one of the members, I think Slash, was like, "Most of our listeners are going to be listening to it on a crappy boombox cassette. You need to mix it for that."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they would have had like um and you know um what we call horror tones. horror tones, these small little mono speakers in the studio, and they would have referenced through that because you know as we know, people would be listening to it boomboxes driving around in their cars. But yeah. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm good with it. You know, it's just, it's what we got to just what we got to do really, and we're got to be flexible with it as well.
1: That's good that you're so positive. Um, just for pure curiosity, I showed my ignorance earlier by being a bit confused between sound editing and sound mixing. As someone who dabbles in both, I'd love to get your opinion on the Oscars consolidating the two categories going forward to just be Best Sound.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of a hot topic in within our community. Um, Well, yeah, I think I I could see it. I could definitely see the positives for it because, you know, you know, the public, a lot of the public, you know, um, still don't know the difference that well. Um, um, I think it's a good thing for the sound branch. It does mean less wars, but i I do believe that the same amount of people that would have got um, nominated for editing and nominated for mixing are both, um, able to get onto the sound category. So ultimately, nobody misses out. And I think that over the years, the voting, the voting, the, the people that voted for Sound kind of didn't help themselves a little bit as well, like voting the same films for editorial and mixing. So it's kind of, it kind of felt like it was going to happen at any given time. Um, it doesn't bother me, like it sound sound, but you know, they are two hugely different disciplines. But, um, yeah, I, I, I see the pros and cons with it. I can see, definitely see why they did it, um, for even for the show, it was really to make the show more streamlined and make it more interesting. But um, yeah, but I, I just uh, as long as people get recognised for the work that they did, because um, yeah, the, the line is so blurred these days. Because a lot of the time when I'm doing sound editorial in my room in my studio, I'm also going, oh, yeah, well, I'm booked to do be the mixer as well. So I'm kind of editing and mixing as I go along at that early stage to see how everything's playing. So it's kind of natural progression in this digital age of how mixes evolve. A lot of the time we do audience intent mixes and when we do those preview mixes, a lot of those sounds are in there that will get, you know, carried through right to final mix just because we're in this digital world now. So a lot of that time the editor editorial and mixing lines are a bit blurred so I I, you know I do think it's a good thing Um, and uh, as long as people get recognized for the hard work that they did and and it kind of you know and people start you know acknowledge sound even just a bit more now really
1: that's awesome I am so happy I asked you that Beastie Boys Story is available to watch on Apple TV so check it out Martin thank you so much for joining me
0: Thank you, Dakota. Thank you so much. And thank you for making yourself available on a Sunday.
1: We went from being famous in a 14-block radius to being on tour with Madonna and Rick Rubin. The shows kept getting bigger and bigger. We morphed from making fun of Party Bros to actually becoming those dudes. We were burning out. I just didn't even recognize the person that I had become at that point. Yo, hold up. It's not over yet. Go! I want to thank Martin Zub and Apple TV Plus for arranging the interview. Best of luck to Martin and everyone else nominated for Beastie Boy Story at this year's Emmys. Speaking of the Emmys, since this year's show isn't being held live and in person, they pivoted to have them pre-recorded. The Creative Arts Awards, which basically is all the more minor categories, will be broadcast over the course of a week from September 14th through the 17th. On Monday the 14th will be the Reality and Nonfiction Categories, On the 15th will be the Variety Categories, on the 16th will be the Scripted Night 1, and on the 17th will be the Scripted Night 2 Categories. These will all be streamed on Emmys.com. On Friday, September 18th, Jimmy Kimmel will host the pre-recorded ceremony to announce all the biggest awards in TV programming for the last year. HBO's Watchmen led all programs in the primetime categories with 11 nominations, including Outstanding Limited Series, Regina King and Jeremy Irons for Lead Performances, Jovan Adepo, Lou Gossett Jr., and Gene Smart for supporting performances. Succession was the second most nominated show with 10, but the show I'm most excited for was Schitt's Creek, which garnered 8 nominations for the final season of The Little Canadian Show That Could. It was nominated for Outstanding Comedy Series, a feat that they also earned last year too. It also picked up nods for all four main cast members, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Dan Levy, and Annie Murphy. Dan Levy also picked up additional nominations for his directing and writing on the show. Another show that came to a close this past year was The Good Place, which is going up against Schitt's Creek for Outstanding Comedy Series. Stars Ted Danson, Darcy Carden, and William Jackson Harper all got acting nominations too. As for networks, Netflix led all competitors with a whopping 37 main primetime nominations with their shows Ozark, The Crown, Hollywood, Unorthodox, Dead to Me, and The Kaminsky Method leading the way. Usual powerhouse HBO came in second with 32 nominations, including the aforementioned Watchmen Succession, but also Insecure and Big Little Lies. The other big streaming giant Hulu ended up with 14 nods, mostly coming for The Handmaid's Tale and Rami. My personal favorite ongoing show is FX's What We Do in the Shadows, the spin-off from the Jemaine Clement and Taika Waititi film, which got four nominations, including Best Comedy Series, and scoring three of the seven Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series, which makes me very happy. That about wraps up this episode. I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Martin Zub. I want to thank Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. Thank you to Aesthetic Magazine for presenting the show. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. I'll plug it once more, but please visit ContraZoomPod.com for all your CZP needs and bookmark it as I'll be adding lots of cool content to it over time. Please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and send me a screenshot to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com and I'll add you to a list to mail you free swag when they are available. Thanks for listening.